0: Thanks for listening to Let the Right Films In, usually your podcast on the IMDb 250, but right now we are your year-end picks podcast. Series, our year-end
1: <laughs> series. Yes,
0: our annual year-end series. And um, the gang's all here. Yes. So I'm joined by Tyler, as you can obviously hear. Hi. I'm also joined by Lauren. Hello. And we are super excited to talk to you about our favorite movies of the year, We're going to do it a little bit differently this year since we have three co-hosts instead of two. That's us. We're each going to do a segment and talk about three of our favorite movies from the year. Have a little discussion. And then once our little segment is done, you will hear from a bunch of our guests, uh, past guests, some new guests. Uh, It's really exciting. And I'm really excited to see your reactions. So, yeah, uh, I'm just going to jump right into it, if that's okay with everybody.
1: I'll allow it.
0: (laughs) Uh, So the first of the three movies that I want to talk about is Logan Lucky. Jimmy, I'm just going to say it. I got to let you go. You were just fired. I was let
2: go for liability reasons involving insurance.
0: Uh, So Logan Lucky is a Ocean's Eleven style heist movie starring Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, and Daniel Craig. It is hilarious. (laughs) It involves two down on their luck brothers trying to pull off a robbery of a NASCAR tracks like on site bank, I guess you could call it.
1: Kylo Ren and Magic Mike teaming up.
0: Yes. uh, Pretty much could not be any different from those characters if they tried. So they plan out this entire heist and then something goes wrong and the date gets moved up of the very super big race. So while they had originally planned to steal from a less populated race, it ends up being like the biggest event of the year with the most security. So they enlist the help of Joe Bang, played by Daniel Craig, in the funniest (laughs) and weirdest role of his career. Maybe not weirdest, but... Most out of character for Daniel Craig.
1: His best accent work.
0: Yes, <laughs> who oh, like, is okay? Yeah, yes, <laughs> who uh, is in prison for being good at robbing <laughs> banks? <laughs> and yeah, hijinks Sue. It's I don't know. It's just one of those super fun movies. I was not really expecting to like it. Like for context, I had been sick for three weeks. By the time we went to see it in theaters, Ben really wanted to see it, and I was kind of eh, that looks funny, but I'm not a huge fan of Ocean's Eleven or whatever. But I would describe it, I guess, as Ocean's Eleven for, like, middle class people. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's just a lot easier to root for characters who, like, really need the money, who have good intentions behind stealing it. Like, uh, Channing Tatum's character is really just trying to provide for his little daughter who's super (laughs) randomly super into, like, tiny girl
1: pageantry. Also John Denver.
0: Yeah, well, he's into John Denver.
1: This, and This she's... whole year is into John Denver. He's all over the
0: place. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it was just not what I was expecting, and I had a really good time watching it. And if you like Ocean's Eleven or are on the fence about Ocean's Eleven, I would still recommend it. There's a lot of interesting twists and turns. There's a lot of... Intricate explosion plots. <laughs> and there's a really cute girl singing a John Denver song.
1: Just clever, smart little notes throughout, too. And it genuinely, if not fools you, the. So, like how Ocean's 11 has a really complicated heist that it walks you through. This movie also has a heist, and it's actually really clever how they execute it. And I I don't know, it's very satisfying, both emotionally and in just fun heist movie.
0: You'll never also believe this, but it was also directed by Steven Soderbergh. Um, That's one, the
1: Ocean's Eleven mention.
0: Yes. Uh, one interesting trivia piece that I found out, I was super into the the writing in this movie. I felt like they did a really good job with both of the female adult characters that are in the movie. One, the kind of nemesis uh, FBI agent and the other, the two brothers sister who is
1: played Riley by...
0: Thank you. I didn't know how to pronounce her last name. <laughs> who is played by Riley Keough, And um, she is a super interesting character in that she's allowed to be extra feminine, but also have her like down home uh interests Mm -hmm. and i don't she's just very nuanced she has a lot to say and it's rare to get that and even
1: it could be very easy for her to be a romantic interest but mm -hmm. she's just a sister they're just like a little tight-knit little family yeah
0: well and the other thing too is that i liked is that um channing tatum's ex-wife in the movie is never really played off as like the evil villain like she's doing like what she thinks is right and Trying to make like a good so life movie for full her of good kid. People. Yeah, I just, just I, good people. There's just a lot to take away from it. But um, anyway, sorry. The interesting trivia that I was looking for. So I was super into the writing. Hmm. The screenplay writer Rebecca Blunt, is
1: not a real no, person.
0: Maybe not a real person. Yeah, nobody knows who that is. Um, it might be Soderbergh. It might be his wife. I don't think it's Soderbergh. I don't know. The for me, I felt like when I saw the. At least the the name come up in the in the credits. I said I actually said to Ben on the way to the theater. I was like, "Man, that is so refreshing. Like you can tell the difference when a woman is writing female characters." And so I, I don't think it was Soderbergh. I would be really surprised if it turned out to be like a secret man at some point. But I don't think it is. I there think was just- a sp-
1: there some people mentioned that it might be his wife who wrote mm-hmm. it.
0: Yeah. Either way, I I'm don't know who his wife is. Yeah. But yeah, so Logan Lucky, highly recommend. <laughs> uh,
1: unfortunately, it did not do super well theatrically. And uh, Soderbergh did like this really unconventional way of releasing it where he had the final say on the marketing and they did special deals with like, they sold the streaming rights before it was even made to help, or well, before it was released at least to help fund it being released. I don't know. They got really creative with the marketing and the release, which is. I would usually be excited for it, but it did not work out, which is a bummer.
0: I think that as we move towards a more streaming conscious public, that's not going to matter as much. I hope,
1: especially with these studios who are big on taking risks, you know? Yeah.
0: But yeah. So all in all, a super fun movie. Um, Perfect for if you want to just hang out with a couple of friends and watch something that's fun, but not a lot of work, (laughs) which is actually a really great transition to the next movie that I want to talk about.
3: Atomic Blonde. I chose this life and someday it's going to get me killed,
0: but not today. So uh, Lauren, did you get to see Atomic Blonde at all? I'm just curious if you had an opinion on it.
3: I did not, but it was recommended to me by many people, but I did not see it, and I don't know why. Damn. All right, well,
0: I will be as spoiler-free as possible, but here's the thing about Atomic Blonde that I'm just going to be straight up front about. It doesn't make any sense. The plot makes no sense. The the (laughs) most
1: important part of Atomic Blonde is... Charlize Theron kicking ass and being hot while doing it. Sorry, her name... So,
0: yes. Yeah. So, this movie is, lo- I will say loosely, about an undercover MI6 agent played by Shirley Saran, who is sent to Berlin during the Cold War to investigate the murder of a fellow agent and recover a missing list of people who are like being double agents. There is an entire subplot where they're worried about like the main big double agent exposing all of them James McAvoy shows up and Shirley's Theron is convinced that he's the double agent, she's convinced that it's him, there is a super great uh, bisexual romance plot with Sophia Butella that unfortunately ends in sadness because queer people can have nothing good in cinema ever
1: <laughs> so they
0: don't <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it's- you know actually I will spoil a little bit, she dies Just because I think that that's fair for people to know going in who are super excited about seeing Shirley's Theron in like a bisexual romance on screen. In
1: traditional Bond girl fashion.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Like I get that that's the Bond girl thing. But also, it's 2017. Like we can move past that. (laughs) But yeah. So we actually got super lucky and were able to see an advanced screening of this that was like fully sold out. And I think oversold actually. And very packed and had a really great response. Because we got in free. Yeah. Well, it had a really great responsive audience and I think that that was, again, this is a really good movie to watch in a group. Um, Don't think too hard about it. It's pretty. The soundtrack is phenomenal and so much fun at literally every turn. And yeah, I just... Unfortunately, this is one of those ones where I I didn't want to not talk about it, but I also unfortunately don't have a lot to say about it, other than that it was good and that I liked it a lot. <laughs> there are just there are so as like a and there are a lot of like obvious '80s song choices, but at the same time, I had so much fun watching this movie. And honestly, I'm super in love with Shirley's Theron. I have been since I saw Eon Flux when I was a young sci-fi the work yeah <laughs> and getting to see her take on this insane role i don't know i can, it's one of those things where i can never like i don't i do i want her to kill me do i want her to kiss me am i in love with her should she murder me like i don't know <laughs> it's a roller coaster <laughs> but yeah so it's it's good the last movie that i want to talk about is I think probably one of everybody's favorite movies of the year that I've talked to at least, and that is *The Big Sick*, starring kamal Nanjiani and Zoe Kazan.
1: I really thought it was gonna be *The Book of Henry*.
0: This was fun.
1: Wait, we haven't even had sex again yet.
0: I'm just not that kind of girl. I only have sex once on the first date. I'm just gonna <laughs> call an Uber.
4: <laughs> Your driver will be ready as soon as he puts on his pants.
0: I didn't see that either. I saw. <laughs> it's okay. I have not seen the Britney Spears <laughs> Lifetime movie, so I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on it. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I have great. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the Big Sick is loosely based on the true story of Kamal and Emily Gordon, his wife, and how, in the early stages of their relationship, she fell very ill and was placed into a medically induced coma. It's a a little bit more dramatic than in real life, I think. There is, she goes into the medically induced coma right after they have this huge fight over her finding out that he, his parents have been trying to set him up in an arranged marriage. Um, There's a lot of great humor here and a lot of just interesting, I think, social commentaries about the way that immigrants and immigrant families live in America and how to kind of reconcile those two identities while trying to also stay true to yourself. And there are, such great performances from Holly Hunter and Ray Romano as uh Emily's parents there is just i don't i don't know to, watching this movie was a really it was fun it was funny but it was also so emotional that it was just one of those really great movies that you're watching and it feels kind of close to how real life feels. Mm -hmm. Even as like, obviously, like obviously we know because it's a real life couple that she comes out of the coma and whatever, but you just really like in the scenes where he's in the hospital for hours on end. And when he is initially fighting with his parent, with her parents and they sort of end up coming together and forming this very close bond because, you know, they all love this person and they hate seeing her like this. It's just super emotional to, try and put yourself in that place. I think I had a really long conversation with Ben after, but I don't know like what I would do if he was in the hospital. Like it makes you think about like how you would react in such a situation with somebody that you care about so much, especially when the last thing that you said to them was not great and you didn't end things great. And now she's in a coma and you don't know if that's ever gonna be resolved. I don't know. It's just, there's just a lot going on and Kamal Nanjiani is so funny and so good. And it's so nice to see him in a role that shows off what i really think is a pure-heartedness that i sense in him and i really hate silicon valley and everything about it and it's just i i just think that that kind of crass uh like snark is is part of him but is not like the uh, the whole picture of him and to get to see him in this kind of funny stand up and also caring loving i don't know i think that he is a great leading man and that they should give him Everything. <laughs> he gets to
1: be funny and compassionate and emotional and sexy and a lot of things that I have seen him in many big roles and he usually does not get to be those things.
0: Yeah. And this being one of the more positively reviewed films of the year and one of the more surprising, I guess for what it was, box office. And how, yeah, it
1: was quite uh, successful. Movies
0: of the year. I hope that studios and audiences are paying attention and want to create stories like this and want to fund just different kinds of movies, you know, (laughs) like, I don't know. It's really nice to see that kind of difference on screen.
1: In a very different way from get out. It was uh, an unintentionally very timely movie to come out in 2017. This movie that uh, stars a Pakistani man and is about, I don't know, people overcoming differences, coming together, like having those differences and fighting, but also talking things out and
0: yeah, you know, and
1: overcoming. I, yeah.
0: And I think that by, I mean, obviously like the, the movie ends really without them getting back together, but because in real life we know that they did, I think it's fair to say.
1: Spoiling real life. Come on. <laughs>
0: well, I think it's fair to say that Emily and Kamal have a really healthy relationship and they, it was probably a very emotional undertaking to, you know, write this movie and work on it and have to relive what I assume was probably one of the worst parts of their life. So I don't they know, do just,
1: a video game podcast together. I'd be interested... I don't really play many video games mm-hmm. enough to... But I'd be interested to go back and listen to that while they're also writing the script. Mm-hmm. Just kind of curious how it comes up. You know, how real-life things come up in podcasts. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then Kamal also has a, an X-Files podcast in which he <laughs> reviews every episode of the X-Files, which is great. And there's also a pretty funny joke about that in the movie. So, yeah, um, I it's probably... Like I feel like probably most of you have watched this movie, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon, I think. Yeah. It's- yeah, and you can watch it literally right now, and you <laughs> should.
1: No, they're all a bunch of dorks, and I love them.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so those are my picks for the year. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you will hear from some of our guests in a moment and i hope that you enjoy their picks as well
1: and we don't even know what guests are coming next you're good you probably looked at the show notes and found out before we did
0: <laughs> so yeah enjoy that we will see you in 2018 and also in the next
1: episode <laughs> <laughs> also in two days <laughs> sitting with monica date past guest good friend and as we went over in the lost first section of this first try met her in a coffee shop with kayla kayla's wearing a denim sherlock jacket which we do not like anymore blah blah blah, blah you know backstory backstory uh but the folks don't need that. About <laughs> Yeah, Stephen Moffat. We were talking about not Stephen Moffat. Now they will have none of that great not Stephen Moffat material, but that's okay. We don't need as much of it in this talking about a certain movie that you have picked that is one of your favorite 2017. Monica, once more, what is that film?
4: My favorite film, or at least the one I've decided to talk about for this, is Thor Ragnarok.
1: I too am a fan of the Thor Ragnarok. So. Let's start off pretty basic, Monica. What was it about Thor Ragnarok that you liked so much?
4: Well, as previously discussed, I've been butchering this uh, director's name, but I'm gonna go for it. Uh, Taika Waititi. Yes. I did an amazing job with the with the you know the information with the uh, source material. That's where I was. Looking for. He, did, he did a great job u- utilizing the source material of making a comic book movie that was comedic and brightly colored and just a whole lot of fun and enjoyable start to finish up and down and sideways
1: the marvel universe likes its jokes it likes to be uh fun and light even as it's getting more and more serious with some of the events that are happening but taika waititi uh brought this comedic sensibility that is all his own that is quirky and weird in certain like certain ways that we saw in some of his other films and really made this easily the funniest movie that Marvelous made yet.
4: Oh yeah, for sure. His work with what we do in the shadows and which is the one that more people know hunt for the wilder people. Everyone needs to see that movie. It's hilarious and amazing and heartwarming and adorable. All Um, of
1: our favorite adjectives.
4: You know, in this day and age, I like a lot of good escapism, and that's what this movie is, is just some damn fine escapism. Uh, Taika saw the source material being like, all right, we're going to do a comic book superhero version of Norse mythology, and is like, that sounds weird, and I'm going to make it weird.
1: And he certainly did make it weird. And to help him do that, he enlisted some of our favorite people who dragged us kicking and screaming into hoping that there would be a good Thor movie. Those people were uh, folks like Jeff Goldblum being his most Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Tessa Thompson getting to uh,
4: basically play a hand Solo character shooting first, but then also being drunk and hilarious and super strong
1: resisting the call, like the, the call to be a hero and then embracing it. Mm-hmm. as she helps save the day from a diabolical Go- Jeff Goldblum who likes to watch people kill each other.
4: Yeah. And it's great. We get so few um are almost not no female roguish characters like that. And also she's a Canon bisexual and I don't care what Disney says.
1: <laughs> Disney can delete that scene. From the movie, but they cannot delete, delete the knowledge that we knew it was there. We knew it was there. Valkyrie is bisexual. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Not just us,
4: but Tyka and Tessa both say that Valkyrie is bisexual.
1: And you know who we didn't mention at all in the first recording of this that I am glad that I get a second shot at. <laughs> I didn't mention the name Kate Blanchett a single time.
4: We did not.
1: Oh my goodness. No. Oh, I, I I'm a little bit ashamed of us. Granted, her character does not have a lot to do, but she owns that character and has such a good time on screen that she should be one of the first names that we mentioned. She
4: should. I, I honestly believe, and um, this is, again, one of those things that e- even if an interview comes out where they completely, flatly deny this in my head, she pulls up to set and Taika looked at her and's like, okay... So you know that scene you did in Fellowship of the Ring where you scare the shit out of Frodo? I want you to do that, but hammier.
1: <laughs> and also, you will be wearing this. And then the curtain pulls away, and she's like, what? What is that? <laughs> but then she gets in, and she's like, I understand now. I am Hella. Yes. She is just sashaying all over the place, throwing daggers out of nothing at people, and having... A grand old time, chewing that scenery up like none of the other Marvel, like care- none of the other actors who had kind of empty villains were able yes. to do, uh, and is just has a grand old time, and and of course we must mention uh, Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, who is freed of some of the weight of the other movies and gets to be his more fun, fun loving, lovable, uh, yeah. jokey self in a way that is. Truly, a breath he gets of fresh to play
4: air. Thor as the golden retriever puppy that he should be. <laughs> he <does. laughs> and everyone, you know, from the tra- is like having seen the trailer, has seen the whole. It's a friend from work scene, and yes, in its full <laughs> glory, that scene is just as delightful.
1: As- I think that that was one of the big things that got me is that every single hilarious bit in that scene is part of an even bigger hilarious bit in whatever scene yep. it was in the movie. They did not give away all the best parts. They gave away just little pieces of the best parts, and you see it in its entirety, and your sides hurt, because, good Lord, that was oh yeah so much fun. Um,
4: I, I've been quoting parts of that movie of, like, I tried to start a revolution. Nobody came but me mum." <laughs> I've been enjoying saying... <laughs>
1: Who is a character voiced by Taika Waititi? So, yeah, he used his very own voice to bring his voice to this movie,
4: and that—that that was my best and probably only attempt that I'm going to make on re- on record of me doing a uh, New Zealander accent.
1: <laughs> I I wish I could do it, but I can't mix dead. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, I had a conversation with another past guest about this movie and uh, he mentioned how it does feel like two different movies in one there's like all the stuff happening on Ragnarok and then in between it uh, in between the beginning and end parts on Ragnarok there's just this bright and colorful masquerade going on in between it and you know what oh, yeah i will admit that it, on a structural level that is true it is a little clunky in some ways but that middle part uh is like maybe my favorite marvel movie
4: oh yeah it, it was great but even even the bits on as card were great because you got to see idris elba playing heimdall as jesus savior of the people
1: and oh and we got another favorite of yours uh playing scourge
4: yeah
1: i'm blanking on his name yes um oh shoot Oh God! Uh, uh guy he's, from the Star Trek movies. He's uh,
4: from Star Trek. He's Judge Dread in the new Dread movie. <laughs>
1: fuck. He's one of your favorite actors, and we can't remember his <laughs> name between the <laughs> two of us. Uh, how are we both? <laughs> I don't know. I'm so up. Uh, Carl Urban. It's Carl Irvin. Uh, uh,
4: yes. I'm
1: so ashamed. Um. But he's also there having a grand old time with a shaved head and serious eye makeup.
4: Yeah. He's uh, hamming it up as well as, you know, one of the more villainous characters and just having a great time. And you
1: even Mark, even Mark Ruffalo gets to like reboot the Hulk as kind of a different character than he used to be now. Yeah. But one I'm having a better time with, who's a little bit different than, you know, the three different Hulks we've seen.
4: And And like you said in in the lost recording, uh, we
1: (laughs) may it rest in peace,
4: that everyone on set seemed to be having a good time. And all of that exuded through the film is that everyone was enjoying themselves making this movie, which made it a much more enjoyable movie to experience as an audience member, even that everyone's here to have fun and we're going to just go wholeheartedly into this, fun, happy place that is Thor Ragnarok.
1: I hope the bonus features are full of behind the scenes content because I would love to watch all of it. Yes. Yes.
4: God, yes, I hope so.
1: Well Monica, clearly we both were big fans of Thor Ragnarok. And uh apart from being one of the best movies of the or one of my favorite movies of the year. Definitely one of my favorite Marvel movies, if not my favorite. Do you have any final points about Thor Ragnarok that you'd like to make?
4: It is still in theaters for a couple more weeks, and I think people should go see it. If you are bored on Christmas Day after you've opened all your presents and the excitement has worn off, go see Thor Ragnarok.
1: If Star Wars is sold out and you're like, oh, what do I do now?
4: Go see Thor Ragnarok. It's bright. It's shiny. It's funny. It's everything you want in a piece of escapism and it's a great entry into the Marvel universe and injects some much needed levity into it.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, Monica, thank you for joining me today. And before we let you go, why don't you tell us about uh, where we can follow you to find some of your uh, costuming shenanigans?
4: Yes, I do cosplay and I like to eat and cook. So the easiest place to follow my random adventures through Costume creation and food consumption is on Instagram at thatlowvice,
1: all one word. And while I am not an expert at any of those things, I can vouch that, uh, at least to my taste, you are excellent at all of them. And people who are experts also agree. So I'm going to cite the experts in their recommendation. Oh, well, thank you, but Monica. Thanks for joining us. You're very. Okay. And we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. <laughs>
5: That's why I'm easy I'm easy like Sunday morning
1: And here with me now is another guest, another good, long-time, great friend of the podcast and of us as people. It's Eva Friedman.
2: So sweet. Hello.
1: Hello, Eva. And you have brought a movie, much like every other guest to us today, a 2017 movie. And I had a feeling you might pick this movie before I even asked you, and you came through brilliantly. Eva, what is your movie?
2: I am nothing if not pleasantly predictable, so I chose Power, the Power Rangers reboot from this year.
1: <laughs> Did I just neg you what happened? <laughs> <laughs> no. So, no. Eva, I knew exactly what you were going to do. Tell me, how, tell me how right I was about what you were going to do, for the record. No, for I the think...
2: Record. I mean, most people who know me know that I, I've been a fan of the franchise for a really long time, and, you know, I... I think I have more Power Rangers t-shirts than I do just like plain regular, like solid colored t-shirts, I have action figures, like the whole shebang.
1: And now the Power Rangers came to the big screen in 2017. And they came
2: back. Yeah. It's the first time since Power Rangers Turbo. It's been a long time.
1: And a bit more money went into this than Power Rangers Turbo, I imagine.
2: And it just, probably like just a few more dollars.
1: No. Eva, you've tr- been trying to get me to watch Power Rangers, and I've come up with excuses like, oh, it's not available to rent. Like, oh, I can't make it to the theater this week. You know, things like that. Uh, tell me why I've been so wrong to not watch Power Rangers. Why should the people be watching this? What makes it a good 2017 movie?
2: What makes it a good 2017 movie is that it's super fun. And I do the like cast. I I know, everyone likes fun. Like, no one walks out of a movie and is like, oh god, I hated that movie, it was just too much fun. Like, I, I I just don't like fun. You know, like, nobody says that. And, like, I have to preface all the good things and all the gushing that I'm about to say with the fact that I was really pessimistic about this. I didn't like the suits. I wasn't, I didn't like the way Alpha looked. I wasn't sold on Brian Cranston and Zordon. Like, I just was not having it. And I didn't like the Zords like I was like, if you look through my Twitter from before the movie came out, it was all like, will I see Power Rangers? Yes. Will I complain about it for the rest of time? Yes. (laughs) Like I was so wholeheartedly expecting to just hate it. And um, I walked in and I sat down and the first scene starts and just immediately I was just overcome with, holy shit, I'm going to fucking love this.
1: You opened your heart to it and it taught you how to love again.
2: I did. Like the there were just so many things that I felt they did right and I I loved the cast. I loved that it wasn't, you know, five young people who all looked exactly the same. I loved that they went with like kind of like kind of unknown people in like Hollywood terms, unknown. Um and I I thought it did a really good job of keeping the integrity of the franchise and to me like power rangers is about is about the idea that like anyone can be a hero like if you think back to like the original mighty Morphin power rangers like billy was such a fucking nerd like the whole first step like the first scene he's like trying to do like karate and he just can't get it but like he was still worthy of a power coin and so i like the idea that you know they They take, you know, these five kids who, you know, I don't know if I would say they were all troubled necessarily, but, you know, they all have their own, you know, demons and stuff and none of them are perfect by any means. And, you know, it kind of says to whoever's watching that just because you've done bad things or you have like, or you come from a less than perfect situation, like you're still worthy of greatness and you're still capable of greatness. I just really thought it was fun. There are a lot of really like cheesy gags Throughout the movie, that I just thought were really well done. And like, I just had a blast. It took me back to being a kid and seeing, you know, the original franchise for the first time. I loved it. I walked out of the theater not being able to shut up about it. And as you can tell now, I still haven't shut up about it.
1: I mean, that's not your fault. We asked you here specifically to not do the opposite of shutting up about it. So,
2: yeah, you guys always do me a solid and call me up and be like, hey, we need you to not shut up about this thing, whether you like it or not. You can dislike it, or you can like it, or you can even love it, but you just can't shut up about it.
1: Is there a Power Rangers version of the bat symbol? Like, we light up the power coin converter, and it calls you? Is that a thing?
2: Um, it can be, sure. Okay,
1: excellent, yes. I did it. I referenced.
2: (laughs) I mean, if you had seen the movie, like, you would have been able to come up with something a little bit more appropriate, but that's fine.
1: There it is. There it is. (laughs) Now... This has quite a good cast. You know, they went with relative unknowns. Someone said inexpensive relative unknowns uh, for the main cast, but you know, they got Brian Cranston, they got um, Elizabeth Hader. Banks. Bill Hader's in it? I did not even know that part.
2: Yeah, Bill Hader is the voice of Alpha Five. By the way, I thought Elizabeth Banks was wonderful as Rita Repulsive. I loved her.
1: That's where I was going to. So, how was, how was, uh, so often in our blockbusters, the villains can be lackluster and that helps bring them down. How was uh, our Rita Repulsive?
2: I thought it was super fun. Um, first of all, Rita Repulsa, not Rita Repulsive.
1: I'm, My bad. I'm
2: going to call you out on that because I can. Um,
1: <laughs> you can. I, w- I was incorrect. That's fair.
2: <laughs> I know that some people felt like she was acting in like a different movie, like she was too like intense with it. But to me, it just added to the campiness of the whole movie and just the absurdity of what was happening. Like, I thought she looked like she was having a blast and therefore I had a blast.
1: She's also playing a character named Rita Repulsa. Uh, and I feel like you got to lean into that a bit.
2: Yeah. And I like I felt like she leaned in hard. Like it was the type of thing. I feel like anytime you play a villain, like the more you lean in, the less silly it looks. So like like you're going to look like an idiot if you don't lean into it. So, you know, I'm always more in favor of people playing villains, like really leaning into the absurdity of whatever their character is. And I felt she really did that.
1: It never works to think, to act like you think you're better than the material because then, well, you just seem like a stick in the mud and the movie is worse for it. If you're having a good time embracing what it is that you're, uh, that you've signed on to be a part of, granted with a nice paycheck attached, that seems like a better route to go. And it sounds like Elizabeth Banks, who seems like someone who's very game to have a good time in, in like movies, like, I don't know, the first Pitch Perfect, which is the only Pitch Perfect. That's a different tangent. (laughs) Uh, I was trying to come up with a specific example. That's a whole
2: other podcast. Yeah. (laughs) To piggyback on that, I thought they, you know, the five leads, uh, Dacre Montgomery, uh, Naomi Scott, Becky G, RJ Seiler, and uh, Ludi Lin, I thought that the five of them just looked like they were having a blast, both, like, with each other and just doing the movie. Like, there was such a sense of joy. And like fun.
1: That's in good the- because I've only seen Dacre Montgomery in Stranger Things, and he did not have a sense of joy about him in that.
2: No, but like I, I okay. Also, a different podcast, but I thought he was great in <laughs> that role. I know the role was. There's arguments as to whether whether that role was necessary or not, and I still don't know where I stand on that. But I thought he was phenomenal. But um, I thought the five of them were really good, and I loved them all together. Like you really believed that these were five people that had you know the connection that was needed to be you know that kind of a team so i i'm all in on the movie i i still hope there's a sequel i don't know if it's gonna happen or not but i'm really crossing my fingers that it happens because i think a lot of people ended up finding the movie after it left theaters and loving it so i hope that they give the story and the cast a second chance to hit the the box office numbers that they're hoping for
1: Excellent. Well, Eva, do you have any final thoughts on Power Rangers or were those your final thoughts? Because it sounded pretty final.
2: Uh, those, those are mostly my final thoughts. Um, my real final thought is um, rent it and then like buy an action figure or something.
1: <laughs> I- Support that bottom line. Capitalism.
2: Yes. I, well, money talks. We all know that. Money talks. It does. And that's a good thing to let your money speak for because if anything, it'll make me happy. And I think that's a really worthy cause.
1: It is. Uh, we are big proponents of that cause. Uh, one of our favorites. Uh, thank you, Eva, for blessing us with your presence again. And we look forward to having you on in the new year. Where can we find you in the meantime? What, what projects are you working on?
2: Uh, thank you for that excellent plug on a platter. Well, first of all, you can find me um, on Twitter is at Eva underscore Friedman. Or, if you feel so inclined, um, I play drums in a band called Staircase Spirits. Uh, We just, about two or three weeks ago, released the final chapter of a trilogy of EPs we did. Um, It's the Stories Trilogy. Um, So Love Stories came out at the beginning of December, and uh, we're really, really proud of it. Um, It's a really big story that we decided to tell of Anna's experience living through and getting out of an abusive relationship. I think it's really relevant to the times. I I think that it could be something that could bring comfort and hope to people. And uh, yeah, so if you feel so inclined, there's uh, 15 songs for you to shuffle through. And uh, yeah, then tell, tell us about it on the internet.
1: Excellent. And we will, of course, have those links in the notes. Eva, thank you again. We shall see you in 2018.
2: Thank you for having me. See you later.
5: señores, buenas tardes, buenas noches, buenas tardes, buenas noches, señoritas y señores. To be here with you tonight brings me joy, que alegría. For this music is my language and the world is mi familia. For this music is my language and the world is mi familia. For this music is my language and the world is mi familia.
1: And now I'm sitting with Megan Moore, past guest, writer, podcaster, music lover, all around great human being. Megan, how's it going?
3: Pretty good, Tyler. Thank you for that lovely
1: intro. I try, you know, I try to at least be... Uh, you're giving me us our, your time and your emotional reaction to a movie, and I... I just want to thank you by talking, telling the world how great all of our guests are, and they should follow them to their other places. But don't say what they are yet, because those have to wait till the plug section. <laughs> At least that's what podcasts have taught me. Anyways, Megan, you have returned with yet another animated movie. Tell me, what movie did you pick from 2017 this year and why?
3: See, after that lovely, eloquent intro, I go in with this totally crude, wonderful cartoon called Captain Underpants, the first Epic movie. Why did I choose that? Because I'm actually a five-year-old at
1: heart. Now, to be fair, I first saw the Captain Underpants books on bookshelves when I was in second grade. So you're at least eight years old.
3: True. That's probably true. I think I was actually reading it around first or second
1: grade. I mean, we could get into the books, but you know I'd have to brush up. It's been a while. What is uh What did you like about Captain Underpants? Why was that your choice?
3: You know what? It is actually a feel-good cartoon that features an amazing voice cast. I mean, I'm talking Ed Helms, Kevin Hart, Thomas Middleditch, Nick Kroll, Jordan Peele, and of course, the always wonderful Kristen Schaal. And because it's a movie that can appeal to both kids and adults with the right amount of adult humor, kind of like Shrek... But we'll still have kids just everything going over their head. And I mean, talking about the books, I read the books as a kid. I've been waiting so long for a movie to actually come out. And lo and behold, this is the year that the movie finally came out.
1: And I ha- I heard pretty good things about this movie which I was not expecting, you know? I mean, there are plenty of animated movies that have pretty good voice cast but that doesn't always work out and it seems with this one it it did.
3: It really did. I mean, we've got Ed Helms as Captain Underpants himself, Kevin Hart and Thomas Middleditch are Harold and George. And you know what? It actually is one of those movies that rings true to the book
1: i mean now tell me tell us a bit about captain underpants because from what i can tell uh you know feigning ignorance here he is a large bald man <laughs> wearing a diaper and a cape who hangs out with children
3: it, he's not wearing a diaper he is actually wearing his underwear
1: oh yeah underwear that it's right in the name underpants not captain
3: diaper. I mean, there I'm is so super afraid. diaper baby well, tell- but that doesn't appear in the
1: movie Oh. But Well, th- I mean, the sequel. It's right for that.
3: Oh, yeah. So, George and Harold are two pranksters who like to draw comics. Their principal, Mr. Krupp, also voiced by Ed Helms, because duh, doesn't like their brand of humor and doesn't like that they're two jokesters. And so, they created this comic book one day called Captain Underpants. And, you know, there's some things in the movie that kind of differ from the book a little. I'm not going to get into that because why spoil it? But long story short, George and Harold get this hypno ring from China that, you know, you find in cereal boxes or something like that. No one expects it to actually work. And what happens is they somehow hypnotize Mr. Krupp into thinking he is Captain Underpants. So he's got a cape made from his office curtains He's this big old bald guy just gallivanting around town. And it's kind of funny because they find out the only way that they can truly control him is by snapping their fingers. So if life was that easy where you could snap your fingers and have anyone at your control at any time, oh my gosh, that'd be
1: fun. So... What happens after he becomes Captain Underpants? What kind of exploits are we seeing in this movie?
3: Well, I mean, he does crash through a window and causes a little bit of havoc around town because no one expects to see a bald, large man roaming around in his underwear. And this is where Professor Poopypants comes in, who is voiced by Nick Kroll. Professor Poopypants whose full name is Professor P.P. Diarienstein Poopypants Esquire. Just try saying that without a straight face. He becomes the villain of the movie. And he's this evil, evil, tiny guy with a hilarious name that wants to rid the world of laughter. Because uh, with a name like Poopy Pants, who wouldn't be laughing all the time?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's just tired. I assume he's just tired of people laughing at his name. Uh, what's the heritage of that name again? I'm just curious what the roots of it are.
3: He is German. He. Oh, okay, yes. of
1: course. Yes. Uh, the, the long the longness of the name should have given it away to me. Really. Well,
3: the uh, Diarrhea Stein. Of course, I'm doing that with a not German accent at all. It's much better with a German accent. But yeah, so actually a kid who goes to school with George and Harold named Melvin, who is voiced by Jordan Peele, becomes his accomplice. So the two of them together kind of turn into evil exploits. And it is up to Captain Underpants and George and Harold to stop them from ridding the world of laughter.
1: I mean, I we we won't get into whether they are successful or not, but yeah, uh, no, this... It, I don't know that I have much to say beyond, I guess I need to actually check this out because it turns out it is actually quite a fun and humorous movie.
3: It is. And I do believe it should be on all streaming services. Like if you have Xfinity, it's on demand. I think it should be hitting Netflix at some point because it is a DreamWorks production, I believe. And Yep, it's DreamWorks, so it might be on Netflix sooner rather than later.
1: Now, Megan, as our final thoughts, how would you? uh, What What would your final plea be to get people to watch Captain Underpants?
3: If you want a good laugh, go watch this movie. Twenty seventeen has been such a bad year. I mean, this is the news, the atmosphere, everything. Just, uh, you know,
1: I haven't picked up on that. I guess I need to catch up on the news or something.
3: I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend seeing this movie over reading the news.
1: That, that does it does sound a little more joyful.
3: It is actually like by no means is this one of the best movies of 2017, but it's a bright spot in a bleak year. And I actually just read that Weird Al Yankovic is potentially in consideration for an Oscar nomination because he wrote and performed the theme song for the movie.
1: I mean, he's going, he's going strong after all this time.
3: I know. The Captain Underpants theme song is also performed by Ed Helms.
1: I mean, it, he is Captain Underpants. I, I would hope that he'd get the starring role in his own theme song.
3: I know. And a little known fact about Ed Helms is He actually is a great musician. He plays the banjo. He actually has his own music site, which if you're a fan of The Office, would be worth checking into as well.
1: I did not know that. I've learned, I mean, learning about Ed Helms too. Maybe if they do do a, maybe if they do uh, make another sequel, he will get to further explore his musical talents in film. This could be a tremendous gateway for him becoming, you know, an even more prolific creator.
3: Oh, totally. And actually, one of the other musical numbers in this movie that is 100% original to the movie is Harold and George singing Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, really. Why wouldn't you want to see two small children singing the Hallelujah chorus?
1: I mean, we've seen it used in plenty of dramatic uh contexts. It's nice to that it gets a bit of a humorous bend every now and then, you know, hallelujah wants to have some fun sometimes too.
3: Oh yes. And I would also recommend this movie. If you have small siblings who are not quite ready to read the books, but still want to partake in some delightful potty humor.
1: (laughs) And what kid does not want that? That's what kids, especially of a certain age want more than anything. They're big fans.
3: Exactly. So as you can see, I truly am a, child at heart.
1: <laughs> you know what? I, I take back what I said earlier and I will allow you to yes, be the five-year-old that you <laughs> truly want to be.
3: I mean, I am talking about another animated movie, but you know, <laughs> thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. And uh, why don't you tell the good people where they can find your work elsewhere on the internet?
3: You can find me over at modern vinyl where I am one of the sites, managing editors, I am also a co-host for the Misaligned podcast, so you can find that over at Misaligned Pod on Twitter. You can also find me over on Twitter at Megan, M-E-G-H-I-N, with an underscore under my name. And that's pretty much it. 2018 could bring some new experiences, but that's not here now to say.
1: (laughs) Well, we will make sure to have all those links in the notes. Thanks again for being on, Megan, and we look forward to talking to you again in the new year. Here with me now is entertainment journalist Ben Rettenhouse, a frequent guest and basically a blockbuster correspondent for the podcast at this point. Ben, how's it going?
6: Uh, It's going well, Tyler. Thanks for having me on again.
1: Uh, Well, you know, there was a pretty big event that happened recently, even at the time this ends up going up. Uh, You have picked one 2017 movie that you liked to talk about on this podcast. What was that movie and why did you pick it?
6: Uh, That movie is... Star Wars Episode 8 colon, The Last Jedi. I have picked it because it is possibly the best movie of 2017 and it is the best thing with Star Wars in the title that was ever made and I will defend that to the grave.
1: <laughs> well, you will get no pushback here because I mean with the uh the caveat that I have never been a huge Star Wars fan, this is also my favorite Star Wars movie. Obviously, we have to keep this concise even though we are not pro- – we are prone to being the opposite of that. Uh, what is – what made this Star Wars so good?
6: Okay. So the benchmark for good Star Wars movies to most people is The Empire Strikes Back, which is yeah. a solid movie on all grounds. Um, but I think that this movie really it, – it it's not a remake of Empire in the way that The Force Awakens was a remake of A New Hope. Mm -hmm. which was my big fear walking into this was that it was just going to be a carbon copy. And it's not, it's kind of, it kind of mirrors the empire strikes back in that it is a movie full of revelations, but it takes a more human approach to the answers to all the big questions that we've been wondering about the past two years, instead of making it a moment of like, you know, shock and awe. It goes for internal moments, not external moments, I think is a good way to put it.
1: Yeah. One of my big things is that uh, everything, Is motivated by character, and it does a lot of really difficult character work, fleshing out these these uh, all these people that we really loved in the first in the uh, first installment, but are still, but you know, still have a lot of fleshing out to do. We've only had a little bit of time with them; they've only had a couple character moments. So this does a lot of heavy lifting on all of those people
6: and more. Well, and it does a lot of heavy lifting on um characters from the original trilogy as well. You know, Luke and Leia show up in this movie. Um, Luke this is Luke's movie prominently, kind of like uh The Force Awakened was Han Solo's movie. And it does a lot of care he's not just there because he's obligated to appear. There's Luke has things to learn in this movie as well, you know, that are good. I didn't I didn't expect that he would go through a character arc, considering that he's had three movies already. But um this it really it does the it does a, a, a one eighty with his character. I don't think anybody would expect in that um so long after the end of the original trilogy, he's kind of abandon the force because he feels either that he failed it or was betrayed by it. And it's a it's a good divergent path for that to go for his character arc to come to an end. Because really ultimately, you know, you want to transition out of those old characters and start making these this series really about uh Ray and Poe Dameron and and Finn. They're the new holy trinity of this series and it's time to start you know, it's time to start making this about them and not just a continuation of the, the original trilogy. I think this movie is very good about transitioning out the older actors. And he does that, uh
1: Ryan Ryan Johnson, the director, does that by uh I talked about how it does a lot of heavy lifting with the characters, but really interrogating throughout the whole movie the uh differences between light and dark and good and evil that have often been so simple in the star Wars universe, or yeah, I'd say like (laughs) have been pretty simple throughout. And this, the entire movie is kind of dedicated to the complexity and the areas between that and uh, how difficult the choices in that are. And I think it's, Oh man, I just think everything in this is so artfully done for the, for the, like, for, with a few exceptions from the, uh, the character work to the thematic elements to the little, you know, uh, fan servicey bits, which feel like they, uh, I feel, oh well, I had a, I had a phrase for this, which was not, isn't the most artful thing, but, uh, it's never, it, acknowledges what came before it and it honors what came before it, but it is not uh, enslaved to it. And it is not, it is not tied to it the way that the force awakens felt. Uh, I know, it just felt tremendously capable and artful in a way that I have never felt watching any other star Wars movie. And it works. It, it's not just going for that stuff. I feel as it, it achieves those things.
6: Yeah, I would agree. Um, George Lucas, who I do not regard as a very good director personally, um, Why not? Yeah, I know. I know shocking. Um, gave exactly one good piece of directing advice in the special editions for the uh, for the prequel trilogy, where he talked about the difference between um, repetition and rhyming, and the Force Awakens felt like a repetition of A New Hope. I mean, it's a perfectly watchable movie. It's, you know, it's fine for what it needs to do. It's almost by design.
1: It's not even necessarily a negative thing to say that it is designed to recreate those
6: feelings and wash out the prequel taste. Right. But it was, it was repetition. It hit a lot of the same beats. The last Jedi, it feels like it rhymes with empire. It doesn't repeat it because there are the same kinds of revelations about, you know, in empire, Luke finds out that Vader is his father and in this movie, this is spoilers, by the way. I don't know if you said that. Anybody listening to this, if you do not want to be spoiled for this movie, s- stop listening to this. This is not the segment you're looking for. But anyway, yeah, Ray comes to um. this. This was hyped up for like two years. People were speculating who were Ray's parents? Is it Luke and Leia? Is she like somehow like a forgotten uh, Skywalker child? I'm not. Sure, how much sense that makes? You can have a child and then forget about it, but that was a prominent theory. <laughs>
1: yeah, that one. I I left it back at Jakku, and I totally forgot about it. Oh, yeah,
6: right. What's going, kiddo? <laughs> Mate, yeah, may, it made no sense, or that she was like Luke Skywalker's daughter that he just that no one knew about. Um, that would have been an easy thing to do from a
1: mythos building standpoint. That's what but I, I thought. They find were the choice they made much more satisfying.
6: Right. Well, this whole thing, it you know, the whole series has been about the Skywalker family. And I think people were expecting that the hero of this trilogy was going to be a Skywalker and it's not Kylo Ren or Ben Solo, who is half Skywalker is the villain of this series. So technically, I mean, it is still a story about the Skywalker family, but this, the big revelation comes when Ray, you know, after two years of guessing who her parents were, it turns out that they are no one. It doesn't matter. She was just someone who, She's just a nobody from a desert. And I people have a lot of problems with that. But um Anakin was a nobody in a desert. Luke was a nobody in a desert. You know, it makes sense. It's so much of our fantasy and science fiction is built
1: on the uh like being able to see ourselves and our heroes and seeing people who are just like us able to achieve great things, not because of I don't know, their lineage or their bloodline, but but because of their own skills and talents and what they bring to it.
6: Right. So. It shouldn't you shouldn't have to be like space Jesus to be able to do incredible things and save the world. It's not, uh, it's
1: the first series about that's about like terrible empires and, you know, these caste systems that are, you know, so cruel to the people below foot, remarkably beholden to bloodlines being the sacred thing that, (laughs) that will save the world, the
6: universe. And so what's really daring about this movie is that it really, it goes all in on criticizing the force, which is, you know, something that no previous movie has ever done It's just been kind of accepted that the force is the predominant ruling thing in this universe. And it could, it, you know, if you, you harness it, it will only breed good. But, um, you know, the force is kind of, it's a, it's, it's not a, it's not a controlled thing. And there's a lot of reason to be skeptical about it. Like there is for any religion that you devote yourself to. And I like that, it that this movie took that and kind of, it put a, a skeptical eye and examined, you know, the effects of the force and that it's how you use it you can't just give yourself over to something like that and expect it's going to always do the right thing
1: yeah i talked about how basically if the prequels taught us anything it's that uh the jedi fell because they were sanctimonious and full of themselves and didn't consider any of the possibilities that could you know happen there are some silver linings to be taken and uh i think george lucas at least a little bit started that criticism or tried to Maybe by accident, but yeah, that is, and it's not, it's not anti-force. It's not, it's not against any of the things that fans of the series have loved. It's critiquing them and taking a critical eye the way that, you know, any responsible human being should do for anything that they believe in and care about, you know? Right. It takes, it
6: takes a, it takes an analytical view of something that was, it was previously just kind of a given that, you know, you use the way of the force and you can't go wrong, but it's, it's a movie yeah, it's- full
1: of nuance so unsurprisingly a lot of the responses have been lacking nuance
6: okay so uh, I, I- want to end on this because <laughs> we are we are getting close to um, the runtime of what we want these segments to be We are So there is a the at, at the time of, of us recording this the Rotten Tomato score is like 93 for this that's the critic score the audience score is like 57. So I guess that's considered rotten. And the reason is because Star Wars fans are literally the most cancerous people in the galaxy. I was saying, it also
1: got an A cinema score. So it's probably like, you know, how IMDB is overflowing with angsty nerd dudes. Like, I would not be surprised if the Rotten Tomatoes score is also a lot of online
6: dudes mad. Oh, I'm sure it was thoroughly sabotaged. But um, I just want to make this clear, is that if you were really upset about this movie to go, to go enough to go sabotage the Rotten Tomatoes score... You were a child. (laughs) Please stop watching movies and sit in your basement and watch your VHS copy of Empire. Because that's clearly what you wanted from this movie. You know.
1: That's my thing. I understand why people might not love it. But I can't. There is no way. I don't think. And I don't think this is about a lot of movies. I don't see any way that a fan of this franchise can out and out hate it. Unless they just wanted fan
6: service. Oh, I think that's what. Well, and it's. They cannot be pleased. They are. They are literally allergic that's, to, that's also that, yeah. to being pleased because they complain that the Force Awakens felt like a remake and was too safe and didn't, you know, do anything daring. And then this movie comes along that literally subverts all the expectations that people had for it and in great ways you know, the entire mythology of Star Wars. And people are complaining that it takes too many risks and that it wasn't predictable enough. So I, I, I do not know what you want. <laughs> The series can't win. Most of these
1: criticisms do not stand up to applying the same level of critique to any other movie in
6: the franchise. No, they don't. And it's, 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 you're dealing with a fan base that is very, very entitled from my perspective. Even in the, the prequels are not good movies. You know, objectively, they are not. Not just my opinion. They are, they are not quality films. But, the way that people reacted to them by like saying George Lucas raped my childhood and they're the worst things ever literally driving him to give up on star Wars and never want to talk about it again. I mean the entitlement that some people have these movies is really just like <laughs> awe inspiring.
1: Although I will say as my, as easy it is as it is to rag on those reactions and rag on them. I have, I do try, want to make a point at least in my own life to Celebrate not what other people are doing wrong, but what this movie does so right. Because it made me, I like I, it's like embarrassing how much of the movie I spent with tears going down my face. And they are just so, and there's such great set pieces and clever
6: bits of action that are really well done. Just one of the best scenes in all of Star Wars is in this movie. Well, actually, there's several, but <laughs> one of the best action scenes is when um, a new character played by Laura Dern rams an imperial <sighs> ship at light speed. And it, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a genius. It's going to be an iconic moment in this franchise. Yes. It's so good. And it's so earned, even with a new character who really wasn't on, on screen for that long. I mean, I talked about how
1: Kate Blanchett made, a, I thought she made a lot out of not having much to do in Thor. Uh, Laura Dern, her character does not have a ton to do, especially, especially compared to a, apparently this character in the X, you know, the uh, expanded novel
6: universe right.
1: has a rich history sure. she does not have a lot to do here but she makes the such great use of it. laura dern is uh, we don't deserve laura dern
6: <laughs> laura dern is is protect her at all costs but yeah no she's really great in this movie and i think her and leia have a scene together it's like they only have that one short brief scene together but it's a really good scene that i think is really encompassing of how ryan johnson feels about this is that he doesn't see luke and leia And these legendary characters as icons, he sees them as characters to be explored. And so he doesn't treat them with reverence and like have moments of like, oh, my God, you're Princess Leia. You know, they they have a scene where she and Laura Dern talk like humans. And it's 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 really it's really a great, very emotional scene about what these two women, you know, share and mean to each other. Yes.
1: And that seems like as good a point to end on as any.
6: I Uh, do have one more comment. Yeah, I was gonna say, but if you do have another final point, please make it. I hate the fucking Porgs. Get them out of there. <laughs> ten out of boo! ten. Boo,
1: boo, get out of here. Porgs are great. They are wonderful. I do- had so much fun with them. They aren't she even important to, to the plot. Oh, I love Porgs. He's just a good little guy. Try to live his best life. He's I made so this good. point.
6: I made this point on Twitter. Oh, it's I'll get my final reaction. I love the movie. Ten out of ten. Based a movie. Go see it twice. Um those fucking porgs. I cannot believe I'm pretty sure they were designed to look like Funko Pops with their big black eyes. Yeah, Kayla has a Funko Pop
1: of a porg. A
6: I am it's incredible. I am, I you it. will not be able to convince me that Funko did not have a hand in designing those.
1: This is, I consider this slander, and really, I do not think I can give a reaction to any of this, because to even acknowledge the words being said here is slander to my poor god. Anyways, this <laughs> despite the slander and the libel, thank you for joining me, Ben. We look forward to having you on the podcast again.
6: Thank you for having me.
5: Oh hey, you're up. Am I in a dorm room?
6: Yeah. I folded your pants for
5: you. Great. What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? Uh Uh-huh. What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? It's time to get the change out. What's wrong with being what's wrong with being confident, uh? What's wrong?